Hello, and welcome to Asia In-Depth. I'm Michelle Flor-Cruz. Whether it's on the big screen with the big sick or crazy rich Asians, the television screen with Fresh Off the Boat, or on a streaming platform with Never Have I Ever or Rami, unique Asian and Asian-American focused stories seem to be having their moment. But this didn't happen overnight. Hollywood has been going through a visible transformation for a while, fueled by the combined force of social media movements, the rise of competitive digital streaming platforms, and an increasingly diverse audience and pool of talented creators. In this episode of Asia In-Depth, writer, producer, and director Alan Yang talks about his most recent project for Netflix, the feature film Tiger Tail, about a Taiwanese immigrant family. He discusses how Hollywood has changed over his career and how those changes affect the projects he is able to pursue. He is joined in conversation by Emmy Award-winning Hollywood producer Janet Yang. Alan Yang begins the conversation, discussing how Asian representation once seemed impossible at the beginning of his career as a writer. You know, as, as far as writing characters who are Asian... Man, it just didn't even occur to me. And, and, and that sounds crazy to say today, given that, you know, what we've seen in the last few years and certainly the movie I just directed, which is only Asian people, there's literally no one else in the movie, um, but it just didn't seem possible. It, it didn't seem possible because it had been 25 years since Janet's movie, The Joy Luck Club, came out, 25 years since Margaret Cho's show, All American Girl, had come out. And Hollywood wasn't making these things, you know? Basically, writing a pilot about you know, a dad and his son who were Asian was kind of like saying, I don't want this to be made. And that's how I felt at the time. Um, You know, time started to change. And uh, when we did Master of None, the lead was an Indian American guy. And we wanted the show to be really personal because we felt like our favorite stuff generally in comedy and otherwise tended to be personal, tended to be real. Um, You could really mind those emotions that you've actually had, the genuine feelings. So we had a character based on me. We had a character based on Aziz. We had a character based on Lena. We had a character based on Eric because <laughs> our imaginations were not that prodigious. Um, and it was really natural. It felt really natural. And, and uh, you know, Kelvin Yu, who, who played uh, the Brian character in the show, you know, we talked about what he was like, you know, very optimistic, loved the NBA, you know, didn't have a good relationship with his dad. Was, all that kind of was in there. And so um, it kind of came really naturally. And that, that episode, the parents episode, was one of the first that we ever wrote. And it ended up being the second episode of the show. So you had already explored that territory with your father, obviously, anyway. And that show was just so wonderful because in part for its amazing diversity and obviously its success showed that the audiences were very ready to receive that. I think for me, it was one of the first that had that array of inclusion. Um, when, when I heard about your film, Tiger Tail, I have to say I was a little skeptical at first because you're such a veteran comedy writer and others have tried and made the transition, but sometimes it seems the impulse to go for a laugh, to put in a joke, you know, comedians like that audience response, that immediate gratification. What was it like for you to transition to drama? The film ultimately was amazingly poignant and sensitively told and moving. For me, at no point did I feel that that impulse come through, but did you find yourself having to slap your hand sometimes? because you wanted to go in that direction or would you, were you able to just thoroughly take yourself into a, a different arena? Well, first of all, thank you so much for those very kind words. Um, it means a lot coming from you and some of your experience. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, doing the press for this movie, you know, a lot of people have asked, you know, what was it like, you know, going from comedy to drama? It's so crazy. Like, it's totally different and it's different skill sets and different parts of your brain and different parts of your emotions. And, and I was like, man, if I knew all this going in, I probably would have just done a comedy. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be that hard. But, but honestly, I, it really felt like uh, the idea told me what genre it wanted to be, right? It was like, okay, this is the story and this is ultimately what happens in it. These are the characters. It didn't feel like it was going to be a comedy. It just didn't feel like that from the start. And so, um, you know, I think in terms of how to execute it and, and try to do the best job possible, uh, I turned to works I really loved for inspiration. And I think that really helped, right? You know, you, you want to make great comedy, watch great comedy, you learn from the best and you develop your own voice. And the same thing applied here. You know, I, I certainly watched some Taiwanese American or Taiwanese film for the first time. Taiwanese American film, we're still working on, you know, creating a body of work, but Taiwanese films, you know, the greatest Taiwanese cinema from Ho Xiao Shen to Edward Yang. Um, and then, you know, uh, Tsai Ming Liang, like there's so many great directors, um, and, and I learned, I learned and I, you know, I watched EE, I watched, you know, Brighter Summer Day, I watched, you know, City of Sadness and, 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 and just learned and learned how to use restraint and learned how to use the quiet moments to tell the story because our culture is a little different from American culture and our different, our, our culture is a little different from European culture. And, and so I wanted to meld the two and make something that was actually uniquely Taiwanese American because I love those movies and I love all of the classic American films that I've seen, but I haven't seen very many films transition from one to the other. And so you can watch a beautiful Edward Yang movie, a beautiful Ho Chao Shen movie, and it lives with you. But what if halfway through that movie, suddenly those characters move to the Bronx and then they're speaking English and then they're raising their children in America? Like what would that movie be like? And that was one of my inspirations for making Tiger Tail. Mm. Well, those are great inspirations. I, I also think of Ang Lee in that category because he's also been able to tell sort of immigrant story. And Taiwan often gets short shrift in all this talk about China, right? So uh, I was really stunned by how you were able to integrate both the indigenous Taiwanese culture with the Mandarin speaking Taiwan culture, you know, so beautifully done. I, I can only imagine though, how difficult it must have been to approach your father and say you wanted to tell his actual story. I mean, this is not something that Asian families are usually comfortable talking about, their emotional lives, their personal lives, especially something from the past. I mean, if you, you like many, I think, have experienced why, why they buried so much. I know my parents coming from China, they had so much I didn't know until I actively, you know, dug in there and, 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 insisted that they tell me more. What was it like for you and your father? And, and how long have you been burning to tell the story? Uh, sometimes I think your greatest strength as someone who's telling the story is a foolish confidence. And for me, it was that I felt like I could ask him and it would be okay. You know, it was, it was, it was not having that fear and, and, and not being, you know, too ashamed or too shy or to have too much trepidation to ask those questions. And for me, the process of the unthawing of the relationship between myself and my father had been ongoing for years and years and years. And I have to say, um, you know, the relationship in the movie that's portrayed between uh, Ping Rei and, and Angela um, is a little bit more based on the relationship between my father and my sister, who have always been a little bit more at odds because their personalities are a little more similar and they're a little more stubborn. And, you know, they, they just are, are a little more uh, bullheaded. And, and I'm sort of more of a people pleaser. So, 
I always kind of occupied that position in our family. Um, I try to bring people together and I'm more of a diplomat and I try people to try to get people to see both sides. That being said, it's not like he was, you know, telling us stories and regaling us tales, tales from his youth, uh, you know, since he was a younger man. It was, it was, it was like you said, it was, there was a quietude and there was a reserve and there was a restraint. And so over time, I think, you know, I just asked more and more questions first as a son, and then later as a filmmaker, as a, as a writer and a director. Um, and one of the seminal moments was a trip that we took to Taiwan together. I happened to be Shanghai for business, um, doing some work. And I called him and said, I want to go to Taiwan. I haven't been since I was seven years old. Would you meet me there? And he said, yes, he's retired. So he was able to come. We met in Taiwan. I'd already started percolating the idea for Tiger Tail and was kind of working on vague ideas of what the story might be. But that trip was really, really important in terms of me getting to ask him questions. Uh, very naturally, questions arose from where we were. He would show me around. We took the train down to his hometown, much like Angela and Ping Ray do at the end of the movie. Um, and he showed me where he lived, and he showed me where he worked, and he showed me where, his, where, where my grandma worked and lived and where she was laid to rest. And all of those locations actually make an appearance in the movie. So the factory that my grandma worked in, the sugar factory, is the same sugar factory you see in the movie. And the mausoleum where she's laid to rest is the same mausoleum they go to. I just found them so beautiful that we didn't beat them in the location scouting. And so um, I learned a lot more about my dad, and there's a lot more I've yet to learn. And I'm literally learning Mandarin, so I can <laughs> text him in Mandarin and in Chinese, and, and I'm doing a little better. And, you know, I try to talk to my niece and nephew in a little bit of Mandarin. I talk to my mom in a little bit of Mandarin. I'm terrible, but I'm getting a tiny bit better. And, and I learned a little bit on the film because some of our actors didn't speak English, and I don't speak any Mandarin or Taiwanese, so I did the best I could. You did a beautiful job, and language will help you. I know I only learned Mandarin Chinese later in life, and it helped my communication with my parents so much because they came through more fully. But uh, without even having mastered Chinese, you did such an amazing job of penetrating the characters, and the locations were beautiful. So what was the reaction of your father and other family members and people in Taiwan to the film? Yeah, I mean, I was nervous, man. You make a movie about your dad's life and you work on it for four years. Uh, you really, uh, <laughs> you, you really uh, are a little bit nervous. And, and we were going to do a screening, you know, and obviously coronavirus changed everything. But uh, I got a link to the movie and I sent it to my dad. And he said, yeah, great, I'll watch it tonight. So I waited. I waited that night. Didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. Waited till the next day, didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. Gave him some space, didn't want to bother him. Waited two days, didn't hear anything. Finally, I gave in. I was like 48 hours later, I texted him. I said, hey, so uh, did you get a chance to see the movie? What did you think? And he wrote back immediately and said, oh, my God, I've seen it three times. I love it so much. I want to watch it 10 more times before it comes out. I can't believe how much stuff you remembered, all the little details. It was like I was back in my childhood home. I'm so proud of you. I can't believe this movie got made. And, you know, I can't wait for people to get to see it. He loved it so much. And, of course, I was relieved. But at the same time, I was, like, really happy that you liked the movie. Could have told me right after you watched it instead of making me sweat bullets for two days and made me think that you wanted to disown me and didn't like the movie. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was very, I mean, that's, to me, that's the review that matters the most. And uh, he loved the movie. He watched, he like watches it every day. I mean, he has a lot of time on his hands now, but he watches it every day. And, 
and, and, and, and really like, you know, sends me photos from it. And, you know, people may not know this, but he does the voiceover at the beginning and the ending of the movie himself. Um, we got him in the ADR booth and, and had him record the voiceover. So the other thing he texted me uh, about the movie was like, by the way, my performance was amazing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you were amazing, Dad. You did a good job. You did a good job. And what about uh, the reactions from other people in Taiwan? Has it, has it shown there? I, have, I imagine Netflix has streamed it there, right? Yes. So the, the movie is available in Taiwan. And, and that's one of the beautiful things about Netflix. You know, I did a call with them a couple of days ago about the movie's performance, which I, I'm very excited about. You know, this is a, a very personal movie, uh, you know, very specific about my family, about a Taiwanese-American immigrant's journey. Millions of people have seen it already. And Netflix told me, you know where it's performing well? Um, big cities in America, Asia, and specifically Taiwan. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That's where Asian people are in America, New York, San Francisco, LA. And it's doing well in Taiwan. And, and obviously, you know, my relatives are biased. And of course, you know, I was talking to Christine Ko's uh, relatives who, who uh, are in Taiwan. You know, her mom is in Taiwan. And they're saying it's just, it's, it, there's a pride there there's a pride because it's a, it's a relatively large scale American movie, you know, and, and the title is a Taiwanese city and, and it's featuring the beauty of Taiwan. It's showing the beautiful rice fields. It's showing the architecture. It's showing, you know, the simplicity, but also the rural beauty of, of, of some of the countryside. And, and um, yeah, I think, I think the response from Taiwan has been great. I've been doing press there as well and or press from there and, and um, very, very overwhelmingly positive. And I think people are excited that the movie was made and, you know, shot on location in Taiwan and, and in the real locations. Yeah, all of that with the incredible authenticity, because I think there have been other things shot in Taiwan here and there, but this is about them told in their voice. And I have to say that's one of the amazing things about these streamers, because they don't care where the eyeballs are coming from. They want eyeballs everywhere, right? So the old uh, you know, marketing approach is like try to get as many bodies as possible into the theater at the same time, same place inevitably biased what kind of movies were made. And it's been such a great thing for our community to have the streamers, which just flatten the playing field. It's like, yes, eyeballs, a pair of eyeballs anywhere, they all count. And they don't have to all be watching exactly the same time. But the, these two very, very yummy actors that you, that you were able to cast had incredible chemistry together. But what really amazed me, especially with Joan, was how well they represented their younger selves, you know, that was like ideally matched. So I'm just wondering, you know, this is a, obviously a, an insider baseball thing, and, but how did you get them to know their younger selves? Did you show them footage? Did they meet with those actors that played their younger selves? And did you go over the script? And, you know, it was just so perfectly melded. I'd love to know a little more about your process there. That is incredibly gratifying to hear because um, it, it, it's one of the more difficult things you can do in a movie, right? A movie that spans generations, that spans decades. If you're casting multiple actors to play the same character, always a challenge. Um, and, and by the way, a little behind the scenes tidbit on how we even got to cast Joan. Uh, I, I had met her. So coincidentally, I had met her on that same trip that I was mentioning. I met her in Shanghai before I went to Taiwan with my dad and kind of became friends with her. And that's how I got her to do the movie because I just kept calling her and said, you're the only one who can do this. You need to be a magical, this character needs to be a magical person that he re-encounters in the present day. And you have that magic. And I know you can come in, literally come in for a day and shoot this scene. And I know we can get it. 
And so she was like, I don't know, I don't know. And I just convinced her to do it. And she's wonderful. She is magical in the movie. And as far as how to get the characters to line up and how to get the actors to line up, honestly, a huge part of that is the casting to begin with. You just have to find the right people. And I know that sounds easy, but I guarantee you it's not. You have to find the right human beings. And in the case of Ping Ray, it was the idea of, uh, Li Hongqi becoming Tai Ma and you want them to be different. But in the case of the Yuan character between Yoshin Fang and, and, and Zhong Chen, you want there to be a little bit of that magic retained. And so obviously there's differences and a little bit in how their, their accents speak and whatever, but there's something about their diction and the way they speak, the gentility, the sort of the charm where it's, there's something central about them, but it's not overt. And there's something very charming and sort of charismatic about them that you just can't teach. And I think a lot of that is the human being you're casting and then how you're directing them on the day. Because Janet, I wish I could have shown them all of that magical footage of Li Hongqi and Yoshin Fang dancing and, 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 and singing and, and all that Taiwanese footage. Unfortunately, we shot New York first. So we shot Taiwan after, so that footage didn't exist. And I think I had cast those actors, but they, they weren't available. They, 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 we hadn't shot anything yet. So the best I could do was sort of on the day and in rehearsals, manage the scene and figure out the dynamic and make sure that while it had obviously showed the differences between the present day and the past, that it had some of the echoes of their playfulness and their sort of what their interactions meant to them. And, and, you know, there's callbacks, you know, they have the beef noodle soup and there's just that sort of playfulness between the two of them. And again, the raw clay you're working there with, you're, you're working with two actors who have just done it before. And it was in some ways totally fine that Ty and Joan shot their scene first because they're such pros and they're so, you know, amazing to work with. And, and again, just to sort of close out the answer to this question the way we shot that scene was under difficult circumstances. That location, for whatever reason that day, the subway was running particularly loudly. So the subway was going. Um, it was very, it was New York City and pre-coronavirus, there was a lot of noise. There were a lot of stopping and starting. You know, Ty's uh, Mandarin isn't his first language. So he's working with the language. You know, he speaks Cantonese a little better. So all of those things were conspiring against us, but it's a testament to those two actors that we were able to get the magic that we did because several people have told me how impactful that scene is and how much it sort of encapsulates the movie because it's the idea that you get what you think you want, which is a return to the past and you see some of that magic, but you know you can never quite get back there. I agree that that scene was in some ways the culmination of the whole movie. It just worked so beautifully. Something about the spirit of Joan's acting and, and the same with your younger actress like just this, the lilt, the lilt, the, yeah, their diction, but also this spirit, the floaty, you know, lyrical side of them. It was just so beautifully done. So congratulations again. Um, all right. Well, there's so much more I'd really like to say about telling stories, immigrant stories. And, and I'm reminded of the speech that you gave at the 2016 Emmys when you picked up your statue. And I was, I'm so glad when we see faces like yours on the stage, like we saw Sandra at the Golden Globes, we saw you at the Emmys. I believe you're the first Asian American to win that, you know, with Aziz. And you said, and I'm again, so glad that you said this. You're like, there are 17 million Italian Americans. Was it 1.7 or 17? 17, yeah. 17, 17 million Italian Americans and 17 million Asian Americans. And you could reel off, a, you know, a ton of, 
of a pantheon of movies about Italian Americans, Godfather and Rocky, and then you've got The Sopranos, and it's like, and with Asians, we have Long Duck Dong. <laughs> and that was 2016, and I remember that year was a turning point for me, too, because we actually, a group of us protested the jokes made against Asians at the 2016 Oscars. And as a result of that, a lot of things started changing, and I'm on all these committees and governor of the academy, and and then we we had miraculously crazy rich Asians, and we had the farewell, and we had the the parasite, you know, winning the academy. Was so a, really a lot has changed, as you alluded to earlier. And then now we're in a slightly sadder moment in time. Tell me what you're going through personally and professionally with all these ups and downs. How has it changed your perspective or your approach to your work or whatnot yeah i mean it's incredible right that was four years ago <laughs> that speech was taking place at a time when none of this had happened and so first of all i want to say i'll take credit for all of it all of the good stuff is because of the speech uh no it it it, it was really you know it's been eye-opening how fast some things have changed obviously not everything but um how gratifying that's been and how incredible as you said you know, seemingly out of nowhere. But to me, the, que the real question is, why did it take so long? It's not like, oh, wow, why is it happening now? It's like, well, why didn't it happen 10 years ago or 15 years ago? And what, what took so long? Because you know, clearly the demand is there. Clearly the appetite is there. Clearly audiences are not averse to seeing these Asian American faces on screen. In fact, they're hungry for it. And there's an Asian audience who's hungry for it. So um, it, it's really, it's really been cool to see and, 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 me personally getting to meet all these filmmakers, you know, now that I've, these movies have come out, now that I know John Chu and I've met Lulu Wong and, you know, I've met all these other, you know, filmmakers and now we can sort of conspire together and, and create together and, and, and cast, you know, people who are in each other's films and figure out, you know, like, oh, wow, these, we have so many amazing possibilities to be leads of future films and shows and everything. I feel so excited. Yes, we've come a long way, even in the four years since that speech. We've gotten a lot done, but it's just the beginning. You know, it's just the beginning. It, it's, it's, it's time to see us sort of take on the mantle of different kinds of roles. You know, I'd love to see us in all kinds of movies. You know, we've got a rom-com. We've got a few different, you know, Tiger Tales, a family story, and that's wonderful. We have some dramas, but, you know, let's do comedies. Let's do, uh, you know, you know, let's do action movies, let's do thrillers, let's do horror movies. You know, we were talking about the, the Rosalind Chow thriller, the, the horror movie that might come out. But yeah, I mean, there's so many more lands to conquer. And I think we're just beginning. And there's voices that we haven't even heard of, heard from yet. So um, yeah, it's really exciting. Uh, I'm glad that speech was a small moment along the way. But, uh, um, you know, we have, we've got a long way to go. Do you feel at all disillusioned or just more fortified by these anti-Asian racist outbursts that we've been experiencing because of COVID? Well, it was incredibly disappointing because you think you've come pretty far, you know, you think it's 2020 and like, you know, we've had all these successes in terms of, you know, cultural awareness. And then suddenly there's overt racism, like it's the forties again. <laughs> so that's not great, but uh, I do feel like, uh, Again, I'm an optimist and, and maybe it's foolish for me to be so optimistic, but I do feel like 
you know, I do feel like the good outweighs the bad and, and we push past it and, you know, we got to create awareness and sort of inform people. But uh, yeah, definitely that sort of overt racism was really sort of jarring and, and, and crazy to see in the year 2020. You know, you hope that you're past that stuff. You think that's your parents' generation, your grandparents' generation. You see it rear its head again. Um, but it just means you have to keep going. You know, it just means that you have to keep yeah, putting people on screen and, and educating people and, and, and teaching them, you know, an Asian American face isn't a foreign face necessarily. It's not an alien face and it's not an inhuman face. I think those are all sort of stereotypes that we need to overcome and that have been perpetuated in culture over and over and over again. And yeah, we've had a good two or three years, but, you know, we had a pretty rough 80 or 90 years. So let's try to keep turning that tide, you know, it's like it's not quite level yet. So um, I, I think all of that will help. I think the big difference that I noticed is that there is a real sense of community now. We have the resources, we're, we're connected, and we have journalists uh, who are writing about it. There's platforms that, that Asians have created, including this one that we're on Zoom, <laughs> created by, by someone born and raised in China. We have so many tools now. And we have social media, we have stars, we have people that are influential. So to me, it also feels like we're not going to turn back. It's, it's, and, and often it really does take a crisis to get people to really get more galvanized. So I'm like, I'm with you. I'm, I'm very optimistic, even though it's, it's heartbreaking at the same time when you hear what's happening. I think those of us in entertainment probably feel even more responsibility to keep counteracting the, the images that some people have of who we are. And you've done such a wonderful job with that, with all your work, whether it be your TV work or Tiger Tail. And I can't wait to see your future works. Is there anything that you can discuss about what's in store for us from you in the future? I have a couple things that are very exciting that I wish I could tell you about, <laughs> including one that is very that is very Asian American focused. But um, I, I can say that uh, I, we're doing a second season of Little America, which is a show that I produce on Apple TV Plus uh, with Camille Nanjiani, Emily Gordon, Lee Eisenberg, and that's an anthology show. Each episode of which uh, chronicles a different true real life immigrant story. Um, season one's available now; it's free on Apple TV if you can watch that. But um, we're definitely working on season two of that. Um, and more, more shows, more shows are happening. Uh, there's, there's, there's a couple that are imminent that I can't say anything about yet, but look out for them soon. I'll be announcing them. <laughs> you can follow me on social media, I guess. Um, but there's, there's definitely more, more to come and, and it will run the gamut from comedy to drama. Um, Asian American stories will feature heavily and there'll be some other ones as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited. I'm excited. And, 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 uh, we're still, we're still working here. We're plugging away and writing and, and, and giving notes and all that stuff. So there will be stuff uh, on the other side of this and we will shoot as soon as stuff opens up. We're going to take a short break here to talk about Asia Society's online programming. Though you may not be able to come to us as many of our centers around the world remain closed, Asia Society is still coming to you, putting on world-class conversations and programming accessible from the comfort of your home via live webcast. You can check out our full slate of upcoming digital events at asiasociety.org online. Now let's get back to the conversation. I have some questions from the audience, which I'm going to ask you. Um, the first one says, oh, could you talk, this is a good question, could you talk a little bit more about what makes Taiwanese cinema unique to you, uh, in, in contrast in particular to movies from mainland China? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think you have to go director by director. I think, it, it, you know, it's tough to make blanket statements, be like, yeah, all Taiwanese cinema is like this because, you know, these directors are different. They're different personalities. And, and Janet made a great point. It's like, I didn't even mention Ang Lee, who's won two Best Director Oscars for two wildly different movies. I mean, what a genius talent. Um, so, so, so the bench is deep, you know, the bench is deep. And um, I, I especially, I can speak at least personally to what I took away from some of these movies. And, and one of them was just, you know, the different mode of communication that, that the characters kind of, you know, expressed. And, and a movie like E.E., which I cite a lot as an inspiration for Tiger Tail, is, um, you know, just absolute perfection in the way that it captures emotion and the way it captures family dynamics and the way it sort of moves you without being overtly sentimental or manipulative or, you know, just sort of uh, insipid in the way it, it, it's sort of trying to, you know, tug at your heartstrings. It tugs at your heartstrings because it's an unbelievable story, like unbelievably told. And um, I think, you know, some of the characters in these Taiwanese films are much like the character based on my father, you know, they're not necessarily the most outwardly emotive. So how can you create a narrative about that? And how can you, show the heartbreak and show the regret and show the yearning without, you know, tons of monologues or people breaking down crying or every scene being people screaming. And so that, that, that's one thing I did notice while watching these Taiwanese films is how you can do a lot with a little. And that's one of the reasons I cast someone like Tai Ma who um, can do so much with his facial acting and his little bodily movements and the way he's under control, but you can tell that there's something underneath the surface. Um, and, and by the way, I took great inspiration from, you know, Hong Kong filmmakers as well, who are, there's so many geniuses. I mean, obviously people have pointed out, um, you know, a little bit of Wong Kar Wai, certainly in some of the handheld camera work and the saturated colors, you know, obviously I watched In the Mood for Love and Happy Together and some of these amazing movies. And, um, you know, I would, I would be lying if I said that I wasn't also indebted to, to someone like that. So, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's all of these things put together. And, and, and by the way, I would also not rule out European filmmakers. Of course, I watched a lot of those as well. You know, you talk about Brisson or Godard or Truffaut or all those movies and, and yeah, they're all in there because, um, you know, when you're a little kid who grows up in Riverside and all you watch is Seinfeld and the Simpsons, you got to watch the movies to help you direct a movie. <laughs> So you've done a lot of watching. This particular person also asked about the mainland Chinese movies. Were there any works that were inspirational to you there? Or yeah. Not yeah. Like difference or? It, yeah, I don't know about the, the, the substantive difference between the two. Again, like, uh, I, I kind of almost don't want to get people mad because it's like, you know, it's almost like saying like, yeah, the question. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I'd rather dodge. I'd rather straight up dodge because I'm like, you know, actually, mainland cinema, well, have you seen this one? I was like, no, you know what? I'm just going to let say you've seen more movies than I have. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. <laughs> All right. We'll let you dodge a little bit. Um, this is another interesting question. She's wondering, or he is wondering if your mom has seen the movie. They just think you're incredibly brave to do this and what it was like to imagine their reactions. Well, I want to credit my mom and my dad for being open, progressive parents, because it's not that I'm brave, it's that they raised me to have irrational confidence. So they raised me to believe that I could do it. And, you know, look, they were definitely weirded out when I told them I wanted to be a writer and director, but they didn't tell me no. They didn't tell me they would disown me. So uh, kudos to you, mom and dad, for that, certainly. Uh, but yeah, my mom watched the movie and she loved it and she is so supportive now. And, and it's like Janet and I were talking about, 
you know, your parents change over time too. And, and, and what she was like when I was a kid isn't necessarily what she was like 10 years ago and definitely isn't like what she is now. And honestly, her journey is kind of portrayed a little bit in the movie by the Zenzen character who mm-hmm. is introduced as this sort of meek, you know, sort of in some ways could be seen as a stereotype, but you know, someone who's kind of just like going, you know, with the flow and then doing what her husband says, doing what her dad says and doesn't have thoughts of her own. And then you get to the Bronx and it's, wait a minute, this character has dreams of her own. This character has desires of her own. This character has friendships and goals. And by the end of the movie, you see that she's a different person. And that's kind of what happened to my mom who, you know, growing up, I knew her as this person who would like tell me to practice piano or whatever. And then, you know, she seemed, didn't seem like the happiest person. And now she is the most ebullient. She's so happy. She's, She's a teacher. She's got a great career. She teaches math. She teaches Mandarin. You know, she um, she's remarried and, and she's happy. She loves to travel. And um, she was thrilled with the movie. And she and her husband, you know, texted me and, and said, you know, like, we can't believe how much you seem to know about Taiwan. And, and I'm, I trust me, I don't know that much. I did as much research as I could. But yeah, she's just a really happy, funny, loud, talkative person now. And she's completely different from who she was I, I, when I knew her as a child. And so um, yeah, she's, she's a huge inspiration to me. She's one of my favorite people and, and, and I'm so happy that she, she responded positively to the movie. Perhaps the question was, did your mother know that her husband was pining after this other woman for some of their time together or? Some of that stuff might be made up. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to oh, okay. You know, some of the movie's fictional. The movie's not oh, just a fiction. <laughs> you're, a, you're a master of mystery, not a master of none. <laughs> so that's, that's very interesting. All right. I do really share those thoughts. You know, as a mother, I realized that my son doesn't know the coolest parts about me. He only knows me as being this person who like wants him home for dinner at night, you know, and growing up you become, you want to have a regular life because you think that that's better for your children. So the, the parts that might be more interesting, the wilder parts, you know, where we were much more adventuresome, they don't see that. So it's important that we, we keep sharing those stories with our children. And Tell them when they get older. Don't want to get older and it's not like you you know like then they can't use yes. it as an excuse so like yes. you were crazy i can be crazy <laughs> until they're old and even, yes yeah, no he, he's now he's heard pretty much everything i have i i'm an open book <laughs> another question is um about the language you know did you do more than one take i guess the question is did you do multiple takes because you thought about perhaps shooting it all in mandarin all in taiwanese or all whatever or be very very clear from the beginning, so you only shot in the language that was ultimately on the screen. Yeah, so it was very, it was very purposeful, sort of which languages were used where, and and I wanted number one to reflect historical accuracy, sort of what was going on in the time period in each of the time periods we were reflecting in Taiwan. Um, but on top of that, thematically, you know, a lot of the movie is about communication and honesty, um, or the lack thereof often between generations in our families, right? And, and the, the ways we tell each other we love each other or don't tell each other we love each other. And sort of that lack of communication, I wanted to sort of be, you know, kind of metaphorically represented by characters speaking different languages to each other. And that was kind of inspired by my own childhood where, I, as I mentioned, I don't speak Mandarin or Taiwanese. My parents would speak to me in either of those languages and I would speak English back. And by that same token, um, you know, I've seen Taiwanese movies that kind of do the same thing, but with Taiwanese and Mandarin. And so I kind of took inspiration from those and had, you know, my great grandparents generation speak Taiwanese and my grandparents generation speak Taiwanese. And then my dad's generation kind of flipped between the two, speak Taiwanese as a kid and then transition to Mandarin. And then in the scenes in America, you know, sometimes 
you know, my parents' generation would speak Mandarin and we would speak English. So everyone's speaking different languages and no one's listening and no one's actually saying how they feel. So, so that's kind of a metaphor for, you know, our lives as Taiwanese American people sometimes is, you know, there's all these kind of languages being jumbled up and, and, and there's sometimes a lack of clarity or a lack of honesty between us. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of intentional and we kind of made sure, you know, the, you know, on top of that, the characters who could speak Taiwanese fluently were played by actors who could do so. And, and, and that was also important to me. That's very interesting when you say you're saying the differences in language mask the emotions very easily. Like you could pretend, but a lot comes through osmosis. It does create a very, very strong avoidance mechanism, right? <laughs> yeah. And, but don't you think there's also something culturally beyond the language that prevents people from wanting to be open about their emotions. And what is that all about? And, you know, we're all still struggling with that. Those of us who are born into those families, how did you find your voice and burst through with honesty, you know, which is what comedy is all about in the end. We, it's a journey, right? It's not something that was nurtured in you from a young age. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's kind of multiple answers to that question. I think, you know, uh, I do think it's cultural. I do think it's a little bit different, you know, when your parents grew up in Asia or an Asian country as opposed to America. Like, you know, as is shown in the very beginning of the movie, they I think they were literally told, you know, be strong, don't cry. And, you know, I forget who said this. I think it might have been an Asian comedian, but he was like, yeah, my parents were raised hard because they lived a hard life. They became hard because it was like they had to. They had to be strong because it was like bad stuff was happening. And the way to show you were strong was to not let it affect you and to kind of fight through it. And so I don't want to discount the strength that is inherent in stoicism. There is a strength to that. There's a strength in being able to bear pain and to, to able to make it through things. But you know, there's also a strength in vulnerability. And I think the movie makes an argument for both. You know, the movie definitely makes an argument that um, there's a strength in being able to show the people you love that you love them. And there's an importance to that. And especially when they're members of your family and, and you never share that, you know, then, then what does it mean to be family? Um, so um, I think it makes an argument for both. And I do feel like for me personally, I think the answer is, 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 is twofold or at least twofold. Uh, part of it is that I was raised here. So uh, I think I'm kind of outspoken because uh, I grew up in America and I think you're told again and again through movies and television shows, like you can do whatever you want and like speak your mind and like be an individual. And like, you know, in class, you know, you can mess around and misbehave. It's all fine. Like, you know, it's all okay. All is permitted. Um, I don't think it's necessarily that way, certainly for my parents' generation in Taiwan. Um, but secondly, my parents, you know, were pretty open and, and uh, you know, they were strict parents in some ways and they had high expectations. They wanted me to do well in school. And if I brought home a 98, they wondered why I wasn't 100. And all of that was true. But they also did, you know, give me some latitude and, and give me some freedom. And I think um, that was borne out by them not yelling at me when I told them I wanted to be a writer and not a doctor or a businessman or a lawyer. Um, and, and also, by the way, some of it's genetic. You know, I think my mom's really funny and she's really blunt and honest. And uh, I didn't really see that until recently. And now I'm like, you know, we're not so different after all, because uh, the things you say about your students are really funny. Um, and that honesty, as you said, is the foundation of comedy. So I think I get a little bit of from her as well. Perhaps that stoicism could be applied to all immigrant families who have to come over and struggle and, and, 
And, you know, you, you often want to put a painful past behind you and start a new life and not necessarily burden your children with all that it took for them to come here. This is what I'm finding with many immigrant families, though I think the Asian cultures might have just an extra, extra dose of that. Taking a little bit to the extreme. <laughs> And what a, what a wonderful thing that in this generation, yours and future generations, there'll be that much more outpouring of these stories. It gives us a lot of fodder, right, to tell our stories, to uncover all this that had previously been unspoken. Uh, a few more questions, I believe. Um, uh, uh, okay, you've answered some of them about how your parents responded when you said you wanted to become a writer. So they were... Luckily for you, okay with it. Though many, you know, we've heard many stories of some of our favorite writers or comedians or directors who had to start out being a, a biochemist or a doctor, or whatever, before deciding to, you know, shun that past. So it's, yeah. it's, you didn't you didn't go that right route, I, right? I, I, I'll be honest. I majored in biology. <laughs> I start. I did start out that way in the sense that I I, I wasn't like I wasn't ten years old being like I'm going to be a comedian. <laughs> like no, that wasn't that wasn't going to fly. It was like you're going to go to a good school and like. You know, they didn't make me major in science, but I certainly was like, yeah, I'll do this for right now. And then when I graduated, I was like, okay, well, I have this degree. I have something to fall back on. You know, I'll take the LSAT, but I won't become a lawyer. That was my compromise. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was uh, um, you know, yeah, they, I don't think they were uh, throwing a parade that I was moving out to LA to be broken, unemployed and, and try to write jokes. <laughs> but uh, um, they didn't disown me either. So it was, it was, it was okay. It was okay. It was like, we'll drive you out there and, and, uh, We'll, we'll, we'll see you off, but we're not going to help you out in any way. <laughs> You're on your own on this one, buddy. Well, but the amount of pride they must feel now, you know, it's, it's you know, one thing if you were broke and starving, but now you're, you're the pride and joy of, of Taiwan and, and their community. And, you know, it's, that's a, I think, I think for them, it must be even more special because they never even imagined that they could dream of this for their children. Right. So yeah. we exceeded their expectations in many ways. I definitely think it's a little bit surreal. It's definitely a little bit surreal for me because I mean, this didn't exist, you know, like certainly where I grew up, you know, I grew up in Riverside, which is an hour and a half from LA, but has essentially no crossover culturally with LA. It's, 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 it's kind of like a tiny red state town tucked in Southern California. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't know anyone who worked in entertainment. I didn't know anyone who was a writer or director. I didn't know what this job was. And so it was a totally foreign world. And, and certainly no one was making uh, intergenerational, quiet family, Taiwanese American dramas <laughs> at the time. So, um, you know, it was, it was, it was not, it was not what, I, what I expected. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's beyond their expectations. All right, just a, f a room for a few more questions. I think one is interesting. Have your parents thought about how Taiwan has changed? Like, you know, it's it been some time. What, what has changed in their minds about it, about Taiwan? You know, I think they're probably more educated about it than I am because, you know, I think they keep up with the politics there a little bit more and they understand it because I certainly, you know, I did some research and, and, and tried to sort of make sense of what was going on between the 40s, the 50s, 60s and onwards. But I, you know, I feel like, you know, I, again, I don't want to step on too many toes here, but there's certainly a... Uh, a change in the politics, right? There's been a groundswell in, in, in Taiwan for, I don't know if you want to say independence, but the relationship with China has always been sort of, you know, very sort of up and down. And, um, you know, I'd rather not weigh in there because, uh, again, I'm not educated enough to be a very strong opinion, 
one way or the other, but, uh, and lots changing, a lot's changing. And, 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 uh, you know, my grandma still lives in Taiwan on my mom's side and she's 90 years old. And so I think she's seen a lot <laughs> change over the course of her life. But, uh, um, man, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure what the future will hold. I know they just had an election. I think, you know, they reelected the president, but, uh, um, yeah, I, 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 I probably shouldn't speak on it because I'm not educated enough. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's very difficult for Asian Americans right now because the relationship between America and China is so fraught. It's sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I really sympathize with your wanting to dodge the question. <laughs> yeah, this one isn't for me. Like, yeah, I'm 100% in this camp. I'm like, uh, I don't know, because it could change tomorrow. By the way, that could change tomorrow. Like something weird could happen. So, yeah, it, it, it's, a little, it's definitely a little dicey. It's so complex, and we really are not well-informed enough. I don't feel like I know enough. I've, I've, I used to know more when I was traveling a lot to Asia. The last year or two, I haven't done that. I've, you know, and I don't trust what media on either side is saying either. Yeah. And yeah. on the one hand, I really enjoy being what is seen as a bridge between two cultures across the Pacific, et cetera, et cetera. But I much prefer you know, that we're seen as, as what you are, which is a filmmaker, an artist, who tells stories rather than being asked to opine about like, you know, the political situation and there's no, there's no right or wrong and there's no reward <laughs> for having an opinion these days. So but I do find, you know, that it's, we're, we're in a really tough position often. And uh, I, I do hope that eases up over time because it's gnarly <laughs> right now what's going on, you know? Um, so, do you think that uh, there's more influence of Asian cinema on Asian Americans or Asian Americans on Asian cinema? Mm. Interesting. Wow, that's a deep question. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, again, I, I can speak mostly from personal experience here. I know that there's been sort of a direct influence on me watching Asian films. And I think partially that's due to the fact that uh asian american cinema is is still a budding flower if you want to speak about it uh, poetically because um there's a bunch of flowers sitting in front of me that's why i said that <laughs> <laughs> but the but it really uh there's just a longer history of asian cinema right i mean you can go back as far as uh yesterday ozu you can go you know if you want to talk all of asia you want to go to japanese cinema and you want to talk about mizoguchi and you want to talk about um sort of these great grand kurosawa obviously these great grandfathers of cinema in general um and and honestly those are influences you know tokyo story and, and late spring and all of these amazing movies um were movies that i have seen and if you want to talk about asian american cinema it's just a younger dude you know that's a younger dude it's 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 it's, it's uh it's, it's more recent and and i think that's partially because the Asian American diaspora is relatively recent. Obviously there were, you know, Asian Americans in this country in the 1800s, but um, you know, there was a large sort of influx in the sixties and seventies and eighties. And so you're seeing those people and their kids make films and that's been more recent. So um, there's just, again, kind of, as I mentioned earlier, there's not as deep a bench of Asian American cinema, but I bet you what's happening, you know, I'm sure, you know, if you want to count Ang Lee as both, you know, I'm sure Taiwanese uh, auteurs are watching Ang Lee movies and being like, yeah, I'm stealing that and, and putting it in my movies. So, um, you know, the dialogue between the two is really interesting to me. And, um, uh, you know, I can definitely point an arrow from those movies to, to this movie. Um, and I bet the reverse is happening as well. Well, I think while Asian cinema has a much longer history, anything that's in America tends to be louder 
And so people are looking off into America to see what's the loudest, you know, what's, what's the most widespread. We are very good at exporting and not so good at importing. So that's, that's been a, so, but I, I really feel like a movie like Tiger Tail so beautifully accomplishes both. You know, it's a distinctly American movie. You're an American filmmaker, but it's so authentic to Asia. And I think this is probably the best hope or one of the best hopes for people like us who want to not give up either side and don't feel like we have to throw, you know, hurl ourselves into one corner or the other. So you, you, you know, provided a perfect example of what's possible in our unique place in cinematic history, perhaps, because it's hard to pin down what this movie is, right? Just like Farewell. It's like, what, is that an American or Chinese? It's confusing. So just by mere dint of these projects, the borders are erased or dissolved. And that's so beautiful. I think that's beautifully put, you know, it's beautifully put. And that's one of the reasons I put, you know, English and Chinese on the poster, <laughs> you know, it's like, it was yes. one of the things where it's like, yes. oh, wow. It's like, I, I don't even know how to write my own name. I had to learn how to put it on the poster. <laughs> Give me so, some Chinese lessons. Somebody. I know. What is your Chinese name, by the way? Yang Zhema? Yang? Wei, Wei Rong. Yeah, Yang Wei Rong. Yeah. Wei Rong. Okay, Wei Rong, the way, but probably great and bright or something. One of one of those very, very, you know, exultory kinds of words. The Chinese names are pretty funny. Um, okay, this is, of course, the inevitable question. That's always a good closer. What would you recommend for budding Asian American filmmakers to help set a, a solid path for themselves? Do you have anything, any words of wisdom that you can impart? Yeah, I think, well, first part of it is advice to all filmmakers, which is, do what I've been trying to do and educate yourself. Uh, for someone like me, who, as I mentioned, uh, did not major in film, majored in biology, I'm watching classic movies because I have to learn. You know, I have to learn. There's a reason some movies have stood the test of time. And so one of the things I've been doing for the past few years, but definitely even more so in quarantine, is watching these classic movies and trying to learn from them. Um, it certainly helps if you've started the work a little bit and you've worked on sets and you've done you've written and directed and tried to do this stuff because when you watch these movies you know you can talk about oh i watched citizen kane it's like yeah when you watch that when you're 19 you're like what is this this is boring i don't understand it like but once you start sort of working in the medium and you watch it you're like oh wow like whatever he invented a montage <laughs> you know he invented all these things and you know we felt it really sort of inspirational to watch these classic films whether it, it, it you know as i mentioned kurostami or or or, uh, you know, Godard or, or Truffaut or, or, or um, you know, Italian cinema, which obviously was an influence on Master of None. You know, we talked about the Sica or Antonioni or Fellini or um, any of these movies. So, so that's one thing that, that I would recommend. Get a Criterion Collection uh, subscription. It's a streaming service and it's not that expensive. It's less than Netflix. Um, watch a movie a day and learn from, from, learn from those, those, those films. Um, and then more specifically for Asian Americans, I would say don't do what I did and be afraid to write Asian American stories. The door is open now. The door is open. <laughs> you can do it. You, there's been massive hits. There's been massive critical hits. Um, so don't be afraid to tell your Asian American story and try to make it unique and try to make it different and try to make it your own because I'm sure you are a, 
weirdo Asian American in a way that I'm not, because I know I'm a weirdo Asian American in a way that other people are not. Um, so tell your specific story and, and be as granular and real and, 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 and unique with your characters as possible. And let the Asian Americanness be one aspect of who they are and not necessarily all of who they are. And, and I think that's another thing that really helps. It's like, okay, well, this person's Asian American. This is an Asian American movie, but what else is it? Like, why is this person interesting? Because, you know, you watch a movie, you know, like, I'm watching The Graduates. Like that movie is like, hey, it's a great white movie. It's like, no, it's a, it's a great movie because the characters are interesting and it's well-written and well performed and well directed so um that's the other thing don't be afraid to tell your story and and, and represent who you are um, but make sure to make it specific and make those characters sort of um unique and, and, and grab the viewer without necessarily just being asian american that's all for this week's episode of asia in depth for more you can subscribe to this podcast on apple spotify and youtube and check out our past episodes on our show page at asiasociety.org slash podcast Thanks for joining us. I'm Michelle Fleur Cruz. See you next time.